Father, thank you for calling our attention to what we share in common. Physically, we have different uh, DNA. Spiritually, we have the same because of what our Savior Jesus Christ has done. We're brothers and sisters. You've made us one, a people that reflect your glory. We were objects of your righteous wrath, dead in our sin. But you came and you made us alive. Part of that being alive is we hear your voice now because we're your sheep and you are a shepherd. And when you speak in our hearts, it rings true and it's confirmed and we know this is the way that we should walk in it. Father, I pray that you would so empower your word. You've breathed it out, but even in in a fresh way, I, I pray that it would speak to us this morning in this room, that we would recognize it isn't a casual moment when we open your word and we hear you speaking to us. So I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would respect the fact that you've not left us in the dark, but you've spoken. And we would be people of God that say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, will do. We want to hear from you. We live by your word. We hunger for every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And well, there are so many things that could distract us in these moments, but by your spirit, we can listen and we can apply those things to our heart. And we can become more and more reflective of image of your son. Conform us in that way, transform us in that way. Give us ears to hear. I pray that you'd be merciful to me, a sinner who's going to try to communicate what you've laid on my heart. And I pray that you would use, it's like you used five loaves and two fish, that you would use uh, the words this morning to feed people. And ultimately, we know all glory goes back to you. All praise for anything that's accomplished goes back to you. All good work that's done in our lives is is not uh, a celebration of us. It's a celebration of you. So do a deep work in our heart this first day of a new year, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, could you take it and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31? If you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, it'll be page 117. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to have one. So that would be our gift to you, to you and we'd love to give you that. So there's, there's Bibles in the back. Hopefully you picked up one, but uh, we, we regularly read and teach and learn from God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 31. One of the things I don't do near enough is to take time to reflect the goodness of God in the creation, the world that He's given us. He's given us a world of such variety. He's given us a world of such intentionality. He could have made a world. Don't you know this? He could have made a world where every day was exactly the same, but instead he gave us a world where there would be seasons. He hardwired into our existence on earth as his image bearers that we would see seasons and there would be changes and differences that would would mark time. We could have lived in, in a world without times and seasons, but God himself commissioned festivals and feasts, and and many of those he meant to be kept annually. And so he commissioned, he hardwired into his people and their relationship with him uh, feasts and festivals that people would gather, and often these would involve eating and drinking and celebrating. And 
And others would involve reflection and remembering. This was God's design. This is what God wanted. This is what God knew we needed as human beings. So when I, when I come to a new year, in some ways, this is just a very arbitrary day, right? Someone decided this is the way the calendar was going to work. So in some, days, some ways, this day is not any different than yesterday. But recognizing that God gives us kind of this annual season, I think it's wise sometimes to take inventory of where life is. Sometimes these are the kind of days, especially New Year's Day here on a Sunday, we can reflect a little bit. I've titled the message like Looking Back and Looking Ahead. I do think these are the kind of days where we have a unique privilege to do that, to evaluate that, to look that. I I wanted us to look particularly at a passage here in Deuteronomy because there's a significant transition in Deuteronomy 31. And the transition is going from the leadership of God's people by by the hand of Moses to the leadership of God's people by the hand of Joshua. And it's a significant transition in Scripture. And I think there are some insights we can gain by looking at that transition and looking even at going from 2016, leaning into 2017. I think there are some things that can shape us even beyond resolutions and good intentions. As Nathan's reminded us, we, we, need, we need more than that. And, and so up to this point, when you get to Deuteronomy 31, Moses has written about five books five complete books of the Old Testament. And he's told this story of God working with his people. And Moses has been the one that led God's people out of Egypt and and through the Red Sea and even led God's people 40 years in the wilderness. And when he writes this and when he speaks these words, he's coming at the very end of his life and the very end of his leadership of the people of God. Moses knows they are on the verge of going into Canaan, but he also knows that he's not going to lead him in there. So what does he have to say? What will the last words of Moses be? What will God say to Moses to say to the people? Let's read it in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. There's a transition, a transition from Moses 
to Joshua. Any sort of leadership transition always makes some people uncertain. It, it just has a way of unsettling things. And this would be one of those critical transitions in the life of the nation of Israel. And right out of the gate, it's pretty clear, and this is just kind of a, a side note, but right out of the gate, it's pretty clear as, as Moses is leaving, Moses who's been the emblem of God's work and God's power and God's grace, Moses who's been the central figure in Israel's history, history is, as he is going off the scene and Joshua is coming on the scene, what is clear is that God is going to still be at work. Wise leaders know, wise leaders like Joshua and wise leaders like Moses know that it's never all about them. They know that, it, and, and we have many leaders at our church, and I'm, I'm grateful for them. We have many teachers, and we have many men and women that lead and, and have influence. And, and what a leader has to know, certainly one that takes care of God's people, is that all of our leadership, all of our influence is just a temporary stewardship. It's not eternal, and we don't own anything. But we have a stewardship from the Lord. Wise leaders recognizing that, recognize that the real key to the success of God's people is not them, but that God's presence be right in the middle of God's people. God has spoken to his people. And this is what the first several verses of Deuteronomy 31 tell us, that regardless of circumstances, regardless of circumstances, God promises to be present with his people. We go through all sorts of changes, and this was a major change between Moses and Joshua. But, but despite the changes, God promises to be present with his people. This is helpful for us to remember, even as we look back at the past year, as we look forward to a coming year, that God promises, despite the circumstances that we know, that we feel, God promises to be present with his people. Did you see that? Hopefully your Bibles are still open. Look at verse 3. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. Look at verse 6. It says in the middle, it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. So God isn't sending his people on an errand saying, good luck with it. But he's going with them. He's present with them. The presence of God always identifies his people. It marks out those who are his, his presence. Interesting, in the book of Exodus, it's telling the story of God's people coming out of Egypt, but there's just this major, major portion of the book of Exodus given toward the dimensions and the exact specifications of how a tabernacle is to be built. And it's gone over two times in the book of Exodus, exactly how this thing should be built. But what was the tabernacle? Why take that much uh, of biblical space to pass on from generation to generation? What was so significant about this tabernacle, this tent? It was a tent where God would meet with his people. It'd be right in the center of all 12 tribes gathered around, and it would remind them that God is with us. And who are we if God isn't with us? What is our ethnic identity if God's not with us? Who are we as a people if God is not with us? Later on, they would build the temple. David would would begin the project. Solomon would build the temple. And what was the temple? It was a reminder to God's people, God is with us. That's why it's so significant. 
when Jesus came. One of the names given him in Isaiah 7 and in Matthew is you call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know that God could give a better promise to his people than saying, I will be with you. You're not going at this alone. I will be with you. So we read in scripture, John 1 says, the word was made flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us, God with us. Remember even Jesus, as he gives a great commission, he tells us, he tells his disciples exactly what he wants them to do. You go into all the world, all nations, and you make disciples. And you baptize them, and you teach them. But don't forget, as I am ascending to heaven, I am with you. I am with you always. Regardless of the circumstances. This is what calibrates our lives as the people of God. God is present with us. That gives us attitudes and actions that accompany this knowledge. So the kind of if we were to frame it in a negative way, it would be we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be dismayed because God is with us. That's what verse 6 says. That's what verse 8 says. God says that Moses echoes it. We don't have to be afraid. God's with us. But on the positive side, we can be strong and we can be courageous. Why? Because God is with us. Hebrews 13 even reminds us, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We can move forward in the will of God at the good pleasure of God. One of the main commandments in scripture is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But often that don't be afraid is right on the heels of that is because I'm with you. I don't think we've kind of gotten to the point where we've matured so much that we don't get afraid. I think there are lots of things in our life that could consume us with fear. Or maybe kind of the cousin of fear, which is worry and anxiety. We just don't know how that's going to work out. We're not sure about this. We're not sure about that. We don't know how this will go. We don't exactly have a, a perfect idea of where this is all going. And it begins to press on our heart. And sometimes we're, we're filled with anxiety. We're filled with fear. And God says to his people, God says to Joshua, you don't have to be afraid. It's very human to have the impulse of fear, but you don't have to have, you don't have to act on that. You don't have to live in that dimension because I'm with you. Whether even the circumstances change, I am with you. We look back at our own lives, our own failures. We're fearful like, will I ever ever move forward spiritually? God is with us. Sometimes we need a voice encouraging us. And God, God hasn't forgotten where you live. God hasn't forgotten the things that concern you that would cause you, that would kind of press the panic button for you, that would drive you to despair or, or to be dismayed. So he speaks right to that need at that moment. So what are those things? If, if we're thinking like, so God is with me, how can I cultivate an awareness that he's present? Because all too often I, I, I can forget, I can think that 
that people are big and God is small. I can think that problems are huge and God is small and maybe God is distant, maybe God is not close. I I think one of those things that cultivates in my heart an awareness of the presence of God, I don't know that anything dials it in quite like prayer does. There's just something very real about going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, at times I, I think you're distant. And we begin to use the words of the psalm saying, you, you seem far away, but God, I know you're near. I know you care. I, I know you're present. Cultivating times with him in prayer, not out of, not out of duty. Some pastor told you, it'd be a good idea to pray a little bit more this year. How about it? But out of survival, spiritual survival, out of a hope for joy. Lord, I, I want to know you are present. We can't afford to neglect prayer. We can't afford to neglect gathering with God's people. When, when we gather as a body, it, it, it does something. So I can be reminded of God's presence on my own, and you can as well. You can certainly pray and you can read God's word and be reminded God isn't, God isn't there. Like he's, he's here, he's present with us. Oh, there is something. When you gather together with God's people, when we sing together that Jesus paid it all. In a very different context, Jesus would remind his people, like where two or three are gathered, I'm I'm present. Yet I know every Sunday as we gather, as we, as we hear God's word read, so Evan reads, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. Great is his faithfulness. And my faithfulness may be lacking and my confidence in God's faithfulness may be waning. But then I hear that word read to me and I recognize this is true and how good it is that I come together with God's people. Why would I neglect that? I would only do so to my harm spiritually. To think that's kind of the, you know, what really matters is my own relationship with God and everything else is just kind of the luxury package. If I go to church, I make it. Ah, well, it's not, it's not a need. I say, no, no, no. God has wired us where we need to be with each other. Next week, we will we'll pass bread and juice and we will be reminded Christ died for us. Christ's body was broken for us. He's present. He's not distant. This is why we gather together. This is why we make a priority. This is why we don't even buzz out at the end of a service as if we got about a million other things to do. This is why my heart is full when I see 100 people here 30, 40, 40, 50 minutes after the service. I, my heart's full because I know there's conversations happening that are sharpening us and making us aware that it's not just me. It's not just my fears. It's not just my anxieties. It's not just my hurts. I have other people and I'm, I'm reminded by other brothers and sisters in Christ. God is present. God is with us. Regardless of the circumstances, God has promised to be present with his people. As we look back, as we look forward, his presence is going to be critical for us as a church family. As we gather, as we scatter, may we remember God is present. Can we keep reading in Deuteronomy 31? Because in verse 9, there's the shift. Then Moses wrote this law 
Law is often a, a good synonym for that word would be instruction. So Moses didn't just speak it, he wrote this instruction and he gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And he gave it to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Yeah, assemble the people. Men, women, little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Those last words are critical. As long as you live in the land... You're going to need the instruction of the Lord. This is what I'm reminded of from this passage. Our intake of God's word has a direct impact. I might say it has a crucial impact, has a defining impact on our spiritual health. Our intake of God's word has a direct impact on our spiritual health. I just want you to notice, so can we live in Deuteronomy 31 world? And we'll come back to 2017. But in Deuteronomy 31, I mean, so Moses had spoken all this instruction to them. But now he's saying, we're going to go. It's not just going to be lodged in my head. It's going to be written down. The words in Deuteronomy, the explanations, the backgrounds, the stories, they're being recorded for God's people not to forget. Then did you notice in in verse 9, it was given not just to the priests, It's given to the priest. So the priest had this spiritual function of reconciling people to God and God to people. And so the priest had that function. But it's not just to the priest. It's also to the elders. And they had more of a a civic relationship to try to keep the peace among the people. And so both the, the elders of Israel and the priests of Israel both get the word of God to them written down. A time was set aside at a feast maximum number of people would be there to read this word. Maybe Moses is looking to the day when God's people at that point were really kind of clustered together, but at some point when they inhabit the promised land, they're going to spread out. There's going to be a necessity for them to gather. He says this one particular feast at the end of seven years, you read this book. You put it in the hearing of the people that are gathered together. And did you notice who, who would be the ones listening to this? Often the feast would just, it was just required that the men would gather. But as I read verse 12, it's not just the men. It's all Israel. Assemble the people. Not just the men, but the women. And the little ones. And the sojourner, the immigrant. Bring them to so that all would hear the word of the Lord. Nobody disbarred from hearing God's word read. Then in verse 13, it even has a a multi-generational impact. So yeah, bring your children, because someday I want their children, your grandchildren, I want them to know. I want them to know it and to hear it and to learn it and to fear and to obey. I want them to follow 
So much else in scripture reminds us of the importance of God's word. It's no surprise. So I've said it many, many times that our church ought to give attention and focus to God's word. That's why we began the service with God's word read. That's why Evan read it. It's why we're reading it now and we're learning and we're listening. There's a progression here that Moses has in mind and it's the way God's word forms us. We, we read it, we hear it, we learn it, we fear, we obey, and then we have life. This is the progression that, that Moses is pouring out to God's people then. I think it's very similar today. We learn, we fear, we obey. How does God's word work in our lives? You know, as I hear God's word, I, I'm, I'm confronted and I'm encouraged. It helps me see my sin in ways that I wouldn't see it otherwise. I give myself an excuse. It helps me see my selfishness. It sorts through my motives. It, it reminds me of what's important. As I read God's word, I'm reminded of this this bigger story. So getting close to January, I began reading in the book of Genesis. And as I'm reading Genesis, I'm, rem- I'm reminded of something. That is, in the beginning, God. So before there ever was me, before there was my story, my family, whatever, there was God and his eternal story. And that is, that is the central thing in the universe. And immediately before I'm out of Genesis 1-1, my heart is calibrated or recognized. He's God and I'm not. God's word has a way of, of showing us these threads of mercy and grace. We even have sung about this morning, Jesus paid it all. We're ransomed, we're reconciled, we're restored. It's a mirror. It's not one of those like silly mirrors that gives you a distorted view of yourself. It gives you the exact, this is who you are. I sat a few moments ago and heard God's word taught in 1 John chapter 3. And I, I'm hearing God speaking the truth into my life. It convicts, it guides, it reveals, reveals who God is. It deals with our, our, our relentless desire to protect ourselves, to rely on ourselves. It confronts all that. So I, th- I, I thought about this this week. If ancient times, I don't know, 3,000, 3,500 years ago, God cared that his people would gather every seven years to hear the book of Deuteronomy read? Think how much more of a priority should it be to me when I actually have a device where I can put the Bible literally in my pocket in about 15 translations if I want to. I'm not even gathering every seven years for a festival. I have no desire to pour any guilt on myself or you. I, just, I, I, I have to think, like, how much of a priority should it be to hear the words of life this year? So I, I am guessing most every day in 2017, I'm going to eat. And hopefully every day in 2017, I'm going to breathe. And God says, man shall not live by bread alone. This is what you live by. The words that proceed out of my mouth. This is life. Uh, there's so much technology. So download the Bible app. Use technology for, for good. Look at the, the Bible project. It's a, a great, great, got a great reading plan. 
Find, find one. Find, find 10 minutes a day. Find, find some time, whether it's morning or afternoon or evening. Find some time where, listen, if you're not a good, good reader, learn, listen, pay attention to God's word. Build this into your life. I'd, I'd even take it one step further. What would the impact be if not only you, you read personally, let's say, 5, 10, 15 minutes a day, but what if you also gathered 50 times this year? with others to read God's word together, maybe one-on-one setting, maybe in a small group, maybe in something like a Sunday Bible study where you are, you are giving your ears to hearing God's word taught and read and explained. How much more of growth might we see? What have we seen so far, regardless of the circumstances, God promises to be present with his people and our spiritual health depends on our intake of God's word. But as this chapter continues, look at verse 16. I just want to... Note that Moses sounds this kind of a warning note. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. And then this people will, will rise and they will whore after the, the foreign gods among them in the land. They are entering. And they'll forsake me and they'll break my covenant that I've made with them. My anger will be kindled against them in that day. I'll forsake them, hide my face from them. They will be devoured. Many evils and troubles will come upon them. So that they will say in that day, have have not these evils come upon us? Because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. What will help God's people in the middle of this? God tells exactly what he wants in verse 19. So therefore, I want you to write a song. I want you to teach it to the people of Israel. Moses put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them, despise me, break my covenant. When many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song, they'll remember it and it'll confront them as a witness. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote the song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. There's a pattern, isn't there? We know the pattern all too well. The pattern is abandoning the Lord. That never goes well. Dealing with the judgment that comes from not doing things God's way the troubles, the disasters, and then going to the Lord like, well, what, I, what happened? What happened? You know what I see in the people of Israel? I actually see in my own life. Our hearts are prone to wander. Pulling that from come thou found. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. All the resolutions in the world will not will not deal with this wandering heart of ours. We need something to compete with that. And so Moses gathers the people and he writes a song to to embed some things on their heart. God's made provisions for wandering hearts and we've sung about it. Saving grace. Reconciling grace. He's opened wide the pathway to come back to him when we've wandered. He's promised to forgive us. He's promised to be like the the father that welcomes the prodigal home. God has promised to to deal with us in our wandering hearts. And praise God for grace because we are prone to wander. 
But what if we had the same spirit here of Deuteronomy 31 and 32 where we embed some truth into our heart that fuels our desire so that our hearts don't wander? When Israel would sing this song, they would be reminded, and you can read the song in Deuteronomy 32, you can read of how they sang praise to the Lord and how they exalted him, how they reminded themselves of, of what would happen if they walked away from God. It's critical. Our hearts are so prone to wander. It's critical to have a defense. It's critical to have that early detection. It's critical to confess our sin early rather than late because our hearts begin to wander. I think about a rhythm that I have most every night. It's just about bedtime. I, I go to all the different outside entrances of our house and I make sure, is this one locked? Is this one locked? Is this one locked? Is this one locked? Then I go back to bed. What am I doing? Just making sure that we're guarded, that we're protected. I wonder what guards our heart. Maybe, maybe it is songs. Maybe it is songs that remind you of the truth, that you sing them, and you sing them with God's people, and you sing them alone. Maybe it's time in, in Scripture. It's memorizing Scripture so that when you are tempted, you've hidden God's Word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. It's listening to scripture, reading. Maybe it's uh, books or maybe you download this or that or instead of all the, all the craziness that could distract us so much, we begin to use technology for stirring our affections toward the Lord. We're saying that's what matters. That is what's true. What changes what you delight in, what you care about, what you sacrifice for, who you sacrifice to, what reminds you of what is true and false. That is what's going on in the heart. And that is what will tempt us to wander from the Lord. What is temporal? What is eternal? What shows when you're cold? What revives your soul? All of us are wired differently. We've got to know when our hearts are wandering. We've got to be in close community enough to know when our hearts begin to wander and we feel prone to it. We go back to the Lord. We go back to saving grace. And remind ourselves, this Christ died for a relationship with him. I think God gives us the opportunity at the beginning of new seasons and new years even to reevaluate our relationship with him. This chapter ends in Deuteronomy 31. In verse 23, the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous. For you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them, and I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law, in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, you take this book of the law and you put it in, put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Today, don't let New Year's pass without an opportunity to appreciate again in a fresh way, the amazing grace of God. Don't let this pass you by without an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to put my, myself in the word more. I want you to speak to me. Don't let this opportunity be a reminder that regardless of where you think you stand, take heed. We are prone to wander. In a moment, we'll sing a prayer really an expression in our hearts to say all glory should go to Christ. 
these moments, can we, can we ask the Lord for his help in all this? Ask the Lord for his help in our ambitions. Can you bow your head? Father, whatever good resolve is in this room right now, whatever determination there is to, to prioritize spending time in your word, I pray that as it will glorify you, that you would, you would meet each person in their resolve. You would bring it to fruition. All the safeguards that keep us from pursuing a life of sin. Lord, I pray that those would, those would be stirred up so that we would have a greater affection that we desire. And that's your pleasure. That's seeing you, knowing you, walking with you. Fuel us today. We're thankful that you are present And as we think about an upcoming year, Lord, we would say we want the defining characteristic of our church to be God is present here. God is present in our lives. Do all this so that Jesus Christ is magnified. We ask it in his name. Amen.